and welcome in the Magic Weekly Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you in our Magic Studios. It's Monday, February 24th. Magic came back from the All-Star break last week. We saw the Dallas Mavericks at Amway Center on Friday night. Luka Doncic did his thing early. Maxi Kleba did his thing late. And the Mavericks get out of there with a W122 to 106. So the Magic fall to 24 and 32 now on the season. They're 15 and 14 at Amway Center, currently in the eighth seed right now. Uh, two and a half games behind the Brooklyn Nets for that seven seed in the Eastern Conference. Three and a half clear of the Washington Wizards for the eighth and final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. And a big week coming up here for the Magic starting tonight against the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn. Just a massive game. An absolutely huge game as far as the seven seed goes in the Eastern Conference as far as holding on to that eighth playoff seed. We're going to see Brooklyn again uh, at the end of March in Brooklyn. That'll be March 23rd, uh, the second meeting against the Brooklyn Nets. It'll be the third meeting uh, of the season, but it'll be the second meeting here in the next, what, month or so. And these are huge games coming down the stretch right now. I mean, at 24 and 32, this is the home stretch. And DJ Augustine came back on Friday. Didn't quite look like DJ, but he did come back. And that that is such a big boon uh, to this Magic roster and this lineup right now. So getting DJ back, getting him comfortable will certainly be a big development. We saw James Ennis in the starting lineup on Friday night. I like it. I like having him next to Aaron Gordon. I think it frees Aaron up to check whatever wing or whatever forward you want him to, and you don't have to worry about who's next to him. Because if you think about you know the the Kem Birch and the Wes Awundu next to Aaron Gordon experiments, um, you know you're, you're limited with Kem trying to check you know switch with Aaron and, and try to check uh, perimeter type guys or Wes against bigger guys. James Ennis gives you that versatility. He's not Jonathan. Isaac, obviously, but he gives you that versatility uh, next to AG on that front line, and I think that's really important. So I like that move. Look, this is a big week. It's Brooklyn, it's uh, Atlanta on Wednesday night, and then it's home for the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourselves, but these are three winnable games. These are three teams that have struggled so far this season. Obviously, Brooklyn, you know, in that seven seed in the Eastern Conference, but Kyrie Irving. Checked out for the rest of the season uh, last Thursday. He announced he's going to have shoulder surgery, get that taken care of. And so for Brooklyn, you know, the future is Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And that's next season. They're just kind of figuring out who's going to be there as supporting cast next year. Uh, And they've got some good players. And they've been playing good basketball. They've won five out of seven games. And, you know, this is no, just because Kyrie checked out, and I shouldn't say checked out, Kyrie needed surgery and he's going to get it done uh, and make sure he's good to go for next season. But just because Kyrie is out for the rest of the year doesn't mean that this Brooklyn team is not dangerous, and it doesn't mean that they're um, you know, just going to sort of bow out of the playoff race. Uh, they've won three of four, and they've got some good players on that team. It's funny, you know, you, you just sort of think about what the group looked like last year with D'Angelo Russell, and you know, there's a lot of similar, a lot of the same guys are still there. You go through the starting lineup right now, uh, with, even with Kyrie out, you're talking about Torian Prince, you're talking about Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and when LeVert is healthy, he is a very, he's a devastating offensive player. He he does a lot of things well. Um, they win the other night. He had six steals in that win the other night against the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, he was 7-19 and 19 from the field, had 17 points. So Lavert, you know, does a lot of different things offensively. We know Spencer Dinwiddie has turned himself into one of the better guards in this league. And he's kind of a combo guard. You know, he's, um, he's what, top 20 in the league as far as assists goes. Uh, but he's, tw- he's scoring 21 points a game. And the thing with Dinwiddie is he gets where he wants to get on the floor. He's got kind of that... 
uh, I guess that Markel sort of shiftiness, and he's able to use his body and use angles and get into the paint at will. And big key tonight, with, as far as Dinwiddie goes, is going to be keeping off, uh, off the free throw line. You cannot let Spencer Dinwiddie march to the free throw line for, you know, 10 attempts tonight. Um, so I think that'll be a big key. It's a Brooklyn team. They play solid. Jared Allen's a good interior defender. Um, so, the, look, the Magic go out and play their game tonight. If you defend like you're capable of defending, then you'll be in that ball game. And it would be huge to try to get this W here tonight, inch a little bit closer to the Brooklyn Nets and that seven seed in the Eastern Conference. And then, like I said, Atlanta and Minnesota on Wednesday and Friday. It's a back-to-back Friday and Saturday. The Spurs... Um, we'll be we'll see Minnesota in town on Friday, and then it's at San Antonio on Saturday night. But again, those are all absolutely uh, winnable games. And again, it's going to be March before we know it. We're in the last week of February already. Uh, Mid-April and the end of the season is coming very rapidly. So the Magic, uh, it's you know it's crunch time now, and it's big week certainly starting off tonight with the Brooklyn Nets. And my guest this week for the Magic Weekly Podcast is Keith Smith. He's on Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA. He, uh, I'm having trouble keeping up, Keith, with all of the different outlets for you right now. Yahoo Sports, I uh, do a great job with the Celtics blog, obviously. You announced yesterday you're going to be creating content for Slam uh, Slam now. Uh, Real GM still, did I get them all? Uh, yep, and NBC Sports, I think you got that one. So, yeah, I, I'm having trouble keeping track of it, too, so don't feel bad. Well, busy is good, uh, certainly this time of year as well. Magic back from the All-Star break last week, take the L on Friday night against the Dallas Mavericks. And, Keith, I want to go back to the uh, to the trade deadline with you here. You do such a great job of keeping up on uh, on cap stuff and all the different ramifications with free agency and contracts and all that good stuff. Were you surprised the Magic weren't a little bit more aggressive at the deadline? They make a small move, bring in James Ennis, who obviously fills uh, an important role and an important hole right now as far as the Magic's rotation goes. But did you expect something bigger come deadline time? Yeah, I thought because they had the disabled player exception for Alfred Camino of $4.6 million, that they might be a little bit more aggressive with using that. Challenger was finding a player who fits in that slot. It can't be combined with salary or anything like that. You had to use it by itself. So that, that surprised me. But when you look at it on a whole, I think the Magic's most tradable pieces, as far as players go, are guys that they would rather have. Than, than anybody that they could have brought in and replaced them. Unless they were going to do some sort of major blockbuster deal that saw Aaron Gordon or Evan Fournier go out and bring back some uh, big salary player, which that doesn't seem like it was on the table, I'm really not surprised it kind of helped Pat. And, but, you know, getting James Ennis, that's good work on the cheap, you know, to, to jump in there and help Philadelphia clear a roster spot. And I think Ennis will help, help Orlando the rest of the season. Yeah, they slid him into the starting lineup on Friday. I think, you know, Weltman was saying at, sort of after the deadline, like, we, we're without a position. We don't have a power forward this year when you consider Isaac's out and then what happened with Al Farouk Aminu. Um, tell me about James Ennis. I mean, you slide him in there. I think next to Aaron Gordon, the ability to switch screens and um, and, and just kind of have a stalwart there within the starting lineup, obviously is going to bring what he does defensively. But uh, how much can Ennis help? I feel like we're in year five, six of they need more shooting. They need more shooting. And that's number one thing that Ennis is going to help with. He's a pretty good shooter. He's a better defender than I think he gets credit for. And then he's a guy who, if you're not really giving him the the uh, proper defensive attention, he can do do a few things off the bounce. He's not going to break you down uh, on any regular basis. But if you're you know getting a little lax or you turn your head, he, he might go past you. 
um, pretty quick off the dribble. So I think he's going to really help, but it's the shooting. That's going to be the number one thing that he's going to bring because too all too often we see with the Magic, the floor just collapses on them and it makes it really hard for them to create offense. So anybody who can open that floor up is going to be big time. Is that the biggest issue right now with this team, Keith, when you look at it? I mean, they played Dallas pretty well on Friday night, came out in the third quarter, 13-4, uh, out of halftime, but at, at one point in the first half of that game, you're three of 22 from three point range, and it just seems like it's a problem that sort of crops up night in, night out. In this league, you got to be able to knock down shots from the perimeter. Yeah, absolutely. I think shooting and then lack of offensive creation off the bounce. Those are the two things that that they struggle with. Now, that's gotten better, as Markel Fultz has gotten more and more confident and is making more plays off the dribble. That's been big. Evan Fournier, for a a few years running now, has been their best offensive creator off the dribble. It'll free up a little bit more with DJ Augustin getting back now and and being able to play those minutes behind Fultz. So so I think having those three guys, that's going to help things quite a bit. But but those are the two things. It's consistently knocking down shots because if you look at the overall profile, once in a while you'll glance at you catching on the right day and it's like, well, they don't look so bad. But then when you look at it, it's, oh, well, Terrence Ross went, you know, six of eight and, you know, Fournier knocked down four of six or something like that. Those just these are too few and far between. It's just not consistent from the outside. Keith Smith, my guess. What have you seen from Fultz from the beginning of the season to now? And, I mean, are we just scratching the surface with this guy and what he could potentially be? Yeah, absolutely. I love his competitive nature more than anything else. We saw that right from day one. It's, uh, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to go at you. Yeah. I'm going to make you guard me. I'm going to make plays. I'm going to do things, whether it be, you know, getting into the paint for myself for a score or finding my teammates. And when you really factor in that he's still a, such a young guy, he's really, you know, had two kind of wasted years to start his career. He's just now figuring this out. He's learning how to play on the fly here and learning how to play on the fly as a point guard is maybe Maybe the hardest thing to do in the NBA. And then when you factor in, he's a big time defender. He's long, he's yeah. strong, he's very physical. I think Markel Fultz is going to be, you know, we've been waiting for a long time for Orlando to get that that guy, someone who can really be like, wow, you know, they got him. And they've had so been just so unlucky in the drafts where it's been one pick before is the guy or two picks before something like that. Or they're just out of the range of a, of a three player draft. They land at four and things like that. But I think getting Fultz in that trade where they really didn't give up much at all. This is huge for Orlando going forward because he fits in. He also fits in with the timeline around Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac. Those are three young guys. You can feel really, really good about building around with some good vets around him as well. So I think, I think he's going to be huge for Orlando going forward. And has been very good so far this year. Tell me about Gordon. Just sort of your, your impression. I mean, you, you've been watching the guy for, uh, I think, his entire career, and you know he's so interesting because there are a lot of things he does well that I don't think he gets credit for. Like he's a pretty good playmaker. He's a pretty good creator off the bounce. He, he gets in trouble when the ball stops and, and, and he dribbles air out of the ball and he takes a long two or a step back uh, or whatever. But he's such an interesting player. I'm not sure if he's been miscast early in his career. Obviously, he's dealt with a whole lot of coaching changes and hasn't really been able to gain traction uh, and, and and find his niche. I think, but there's still a whole lot more there, isn't there? There absolutely is, and I love that you called out his playmaking because I think that is probably the most underrated part of this game. People see, you know, the flashy highlight dunks and things like that, and then they people I think now have come around to this guy's a pretty good defender. But I think his ability to to make things happen off the dribble has been big. You're absolutely right. Occasionally he, you know, tries to. It's like if it doesn't happen on the first attempt. It's not always best to try, try again. Right. Sometimes it's better to get rid of it and, and move it off to somebody else. And, and that's where I think he tries a little bit too hard. This year, I think a lot of his struggles has come from 
I just don't know that he's healthy. I know he's played, and he's not really saying much, and neither is the team, but something just seems a little off with him. He wasn't explosive for the first part of the year like he usually is. Didn't look like he had that same lift. That started to come around over the last, call it a month, month and a half or so, and I think that's going to be big for him down the stretch is if he can prove you know, that he's healthy and able to get after it, that's big for him and the Magic, and like you said, he's really the only power forward of note on the roster left, and that wasn't even really his intended role anymore. It was never really intended for him to be a power forward. He, they, they were trying to transition him into more being a, a small forward alongside Jonathan Isaac, and now he's had to step up. But I, th- I think you know we'll see him get healthier, hopefully, and really have a big impact the rest of the way. What do you what do you make of that as far as the four and the three? I mean, they always say in this league, you are who you guard. So it doesn't seem like it makes a huge difference to me. I think the, the vision is obviously to have him next to J.I., uh, and then you've got you know you got two guys that you can deploy uh, against just about any wing across the league. Um, but it, it, do we make too much of that, the hand-wringing over whether or not he's a three or a four? Absolutely, we do. I think when you look at it, it is they're forward. And yeah. That's it. That's where it ends. They're interchangeable in the way the Magic want to play. I think Steve Clifford has done a good job kind of modernizing the, well, what the Magic are, where it's really there's a ball handler, there's some wings, and then there's a big. And that's, that's really kind of how they play. And, and although Isaac and Gordon are both, both bigger guys and they can do things inside, a lot of what they do starts from, from the outside in. And I think that's the way the NBA plays it now. And I don't, I don't think you know Jeff Waldman, John Hammond, Steve Clifford, I don't think any of those guys are worried about is he a three or a four. I think that's more of a fan-created thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I think people turn on 2K, and 2K says someone's a power forward, <laughs> so they're a power forward and that's it. In reality, it doesn't really matter that they can both that's the cool thing with the him and Isaac they can really all they can both defend all the same kind of guys and they can both you know be interchangeable offensively as well which is is pretty good Isaac's a little further behind with his off the dribble game than Gordon is but that's that's okay that'll come eventually for him with time uh, Magic Nets tonight. The Nets in the seventh seed right now, two and a half games clear of the Magic. Obviously, a, a, a big matchup here. We'll see him again in March in Brooklyn. Uh, found out last week, Kyrie Irving will be out for the rest of the season with that shoulder. But I, I, I don't know, Keith. I mean, the Nets have won what five of seven. They've won three of four. You know, I, I'm not going to be one of these. They're better without Kyrie type of guys. And obviously, this season is just sort of a let's see who's going to stick around next year when we get Kyrie and KD back. But uh, tell me about this Brooklyn team. They, I, I don't know. I mean, they look like a, a pretty good team. They still have talent all over the place. Certainly, getting Karis LeVert back and healthy. Um, he's been very effective since he's come back, and it looks like a pretty solid bunch, Keith. Yeah, they absolutely are. I think what makes um, sense for the Nets is when they're down, Kyrie Irving, everybody slots in a little easier into the positions that they were in a year ago. Mm. And that was a pretty good Brooklyn team last year. They, they you know, made a really you know, nice run for the playoffs and then really challenged Philadelphia a little bit there in the first round. And, and I think Spencer Dinwiddie, he, he's best with the ball in his hand. Karis LeVert, another guy who's good with the ball in his hand. When you have Kyrie, you know Kyrie's going to have the ball, and he's going to have the ball a lot. But when he's not there, that that opens things up for both LeVert and Dinwiddie to kind of play their games and do a little bit more of the things we saw from them a year ago. I'm with you. I'm not going to say teams are better without him because that – it did always, you know, who did they play? Who did, who did that other team have and not have available? And those kind of things when he was out. But they're certainly a little bit more comfortable and they play a little bit more of that free-flowing, everyone's involved style without Irving, which maybe fits, you know, their current personnel a little bit better. 
Can you? I'm going to spring this on you, and I don't know if you know the details here. Can you explain the Spencer Dinwiddie contract, third-party Bitcoin <laughs> thing? I, I I just get lost. I am not, Keith. You are way better with numbers than I am. I am a, a lowly radio guy. I have no idea what any of this means. No, I'm good with the NBA salary cap, with Bitcoin and investments and those kind of things. My bank account tells you I'm not so great with that stuff. Um, you know, that's just, it's one of the, the easiest way, and I tried to read and really understand it, and I think I kind of got lost. Maybe took a nap in there. Somewhere. I think it was, the idea was he wanted to take his contract, and rather than, right, you and I get a paycheck, and if we want to invest it, we then turn around and invest it. I think he wanted to turn it into an immediate investment vehicle and then use that investment vehicle where players and fans could invest in the same thing he was but i, I don't fully follow it i don't profess to be an expert on that by any means no yeah um digital token you lose me a digital token when i when i hear digital token i think video games uh and yeah, that, yeah me too <laughs> yeah, that's my error as well <laughs> that's about as far as i get we're talking to keith smith here on magic weekly jake chapman here with you in our magic studios all right uh the buyout market i guess it, it, has it already come and gone i mean we saw the Pistons basically cleared out uh, a couple guys, Reggie Jackson and uh, Marcus Mor- uh, Markeith Morris. Um, Keith signs yesterday with the Lakers. Marcus ends up with the Clippers. That could be a whole lot of fun in the Western Conference Finals if you got the Morai brothers uh, going going toe to toe. But is that about it as far as the buyout market? You think? I, I think it's probably just about done. I know everybody's kind of keeping an eye on Tristan Thompson. Mm-hmm. He's now gone to the bench behind Andre Drummond after the Cavs acquired him at the trade deadline. And But the reality is no clutch sports client has ever given back money in a buyout. And I don't know that Tristan Thompson is going to be the first guy to do that. And it doesn't sound like it. it. sounds like he's content to play it out, be a, be, be a free agent at the end of the year. And they have bird rights on him. That doesn't matter too much if Cleveland's going to re-sign Drummond and have Kevin Love. But what it matters is it allows Thompson to get a bigger deal as a free agent if there's a sign-and-trade, which we saw come very much back into vogue last season. So I think think you're going to see Thompson probably sit and stay in Cleveland, which means that at this point the bio market is probably just about done because as you look around, the other teams that are outside the playoffs, maybe the Knicks let a guy like Taj Gibson go or Wayne Ellington, you know, as we're down to, we've got a little less than a week to go to make those decisions. Maybe one of those two guys is let go. They said they're not going to uh, buy out Maurice Harkless. They're going to keep him and hang on to him the rest of this year. So after that, it, you start to struggle to see uh, where would it really make sense because it's generally only guys with one year left on their deal. Most of those guys have already been set free. Do you think Drummond opts in? Uh, this summer is so interesting because there's not a lot of teams with cap space, but if I'm Drummond, I mean, I, I don't know if he'll get 28 annually, but I'm not sure if I'm going to jeopardize the the long-term security and then go in in 21 when I'm the 8th, ninth, 10th best player in the class. Uh, if that, I mean, it, it it stands to reason that he would opt out and try to get his money this summer, but I'm hearing a lot of uh, a lot of conflicting notions about it. Yeah, I changed my mind when when he was traded to Cleveland. I thought he was going to opt out with Detroit, but that was also at that point the Atlanta Hawks had an opening at the center spot, but they've since filled that with Clint Capella. When you look at the other teams that project to have cap space right now, none of them really scream a great you know destination for Drummond. So I think at that point we'll probably opt in, uh, play play it out, get that money for next year, and then he'll hit the free agent 
class where a lot more teams might have cap space. It is a better class, but he still projects to be one of the better centers on the market. And that still has some value. You know, one thing that holds consistent and has had for years is that big skip paid in the NBA. So I think, think of they have kind of changed my tune now. I think he's going to opt in just the way the market changed and developed uh, at the trade deadline, changed things quite a bit. Same question for Evan Fournier. How do you see that shaking up? Yeah, that one's a little bit tougher, I, I think, because we're starting to see an increased emphasis on wings around the league that Fournier could potentially opt out in a couple of the teams that, that, again, project to have cap space, could use a wing and could use somebody like Fournier. But I think, you know, what, what is probably likely for him is if he opts out, I think it's going to be because there's something lined up with the Magic where it's going to be, all right, let, let's get him on to uh, another contract that, that locks him up, maybe kind of ties his timeline to that and Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross a little bit better. He gets those guys all, you know, kind of locked in for the next few years beyond this one. But Fournier is a guy who he, he could end up hitting the market and then, you know, maybe a team like Charlotte who could use a wing with some size or even the Pistons who are going to have a ton of cap space. Maybe one of those teams talks themselves into, all right, hey, let's get this guy in and move forward. The challenge is a lot of teams are kind of in a holding, holding pattern, which we expect to continue into the summer because everybody's kind of looking at it as, boy, 2021, you've got Giannis, Kawhi, Paul George, maybe LeBron James. Those guys are all free agents, and I think people are starting to look at it and say, all right, nah, let's not spend all our money right now. Let's make sure we can make a run on one of those guys if we have the opportunity a year from now. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see that shake out. It, it always feels like there's something on the horizon that you know we always tell ourselves, oh, hold off until 2021. It's going to be a quiet trade <laughs> deadline, quiet summer. And then, of course, it's the NBA and all sorts of stuff happens uh, and all hell breaks loose. Keith Smith with me. Um, that game yesterday, Keith, you do a great job with the Celtics blog. That game yesterday, look, two of the best games I've seen all season have come in the last week, and it's been Boston against the two L.A. teams. Um, I, I know you were disappointed based on your timeline, and I was too, with the ending of that game. But if you just take it in totality, Boston losing that game by two points without Kemba Walker, um, they're the real deal. Would you would you have to say the Celtics are probably your favorite non-Milwaukee team to potentially come out of the East? Yeah, I think so. I, I think because I, they're, they're doing everything they can to get Kemba Walker healthy. And once they're there, and I think that's going to be an easier thing to manage in the playoffs where you're only playing every other day, every third day right. or so. I, I think that's going to be really important. They've got four guys who can go for 20 or 30 points on any given night. The depth issues, they, their bench isn't very good, but the depth issues are, are not as big in the playoffs where you're only really playing eight, maybe nine guys. And I think that's going to be really important for them. I think their versatility they're hard to guard. They get after it defensively. I think that they're going to be a tough outcome come playoffs. A lot's going to matter in seeding. They want to make sure they stay in that 2-3 line, either catch Toronto for two or at least stay at three. You don't want to drop into the fourth seed, have a tough first-round matchup, and then have to go play Milwaukee in the second round. That's something everybody's going to be trying to avoid. And Boston does have a little bit of a tough closing schedule, so that's going to be something to monitor. But I think in the end, I think they're going to come out, and they're going to come out looking pretty good heading into the postseason. Yeah, Boston right now two and a half behind Toronto for the second seed in the Eastern Conference. They're three clear of the Miami Heat uh, for that three seed. What about out west? I mean, all we talk about are the L.A. teams, and I know Utah's really struggling right now, but I do think Utah, when they have their fastball, um, can hang, I think, with both L.A. teams, maybe Denver. um, But I I think we all assume it's going to shake out as far as the Clippers and the Lakers go. Uh, Who do you like? 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I I want to believe in Utah, Denver. I want to believe Houston can maybe get in the mix there. But but I think those teams are all just missing, you know, something. It's something different for all of them. But they just they just don't feel as you know confident as you as you can feel in the Lakers and the Clippers. And the Clippers very much they're probably playing this regular season just to get it over with. Yeah, they're like, let's get this thing done. Let's get to the playoffs. Right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, they really haven't earned that. They're they're a first year team as far as being together, but you know, it is what it is there. And then the Lakers, the only thing that really gives me pause with the Lakers, and we saw this yesterday, they are so heavily dependent on LeBron James and Anthony Davis to be great against the best teams that if either one of them is off their game, they can struggle. Or if anything happens where either one of those guys, you know, God forbid gets hurt or they are struggling with their fitness towards the end of the year because they're playing such a heavy load. There's not going to be a vacation for LeBron James this year like we've seen in the past. And Davis isn't going to be – he gets nicked up a lot. So so the fact that they're having to push so hard, that, that that gives you a little bit of pause on, yeah, you know, if those guys are a little worn down or they're nicked up or anything like that, and you might be able to catch them if you're Utah or Denver or, you know, maybe even Houston. Is that, and I'll leave you with this, I think Frank Vogel is an outstanding coach. I think he's done a great job so far this year. But do you does that give you some pause that they are playing uh, heavy minutes and they're playing the regular season like we want the one seed in the Western Conference, 43-12 uh, and 12 now? But if you were if you were Frank, would you, would you tap the brakes a little bit and maybe try to rest up? Yeah, I think because they, they've got that good, healthy lead, I think you're going to see him spot guys a little bit of rest. I think that's why the Marquise Morris addition is so big. Yeah. For them, I think now you can, especially Anthony Davis, you can say, you know, hey, hey, let's take a day or two off, or uh, you get a slightly rolled ankle, or you know, you you get some bumps and bruises. All right, well, we're gonna you're gonna take a night off and and sit here. And if it, you know, we're playing the the you know bottom of the conference teams, we're playing the Warriors who are struggling just to finish out the season. We're we're gonna we're gonna sit you out on those nights and, and go. And if we lose, we lose. It's not the end of the world, but we're not gonna push this thing because again, they're not quite taking the approach the Clippers have, but they've won enough games now where they can afford to back that off and play for the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. 43-12 and 12 right now. They're five games up on Denver uh, for that one seed in the Western Conference. He's Keith Smith on Twitter, at KeithSmithNBA. Uh, he's all over the place. Yahoo, NBC Sports, Slam, Celtics Blog, Real GM, uh, and here on Magic Weekly uh, with yours truly. Keith, thanks for the time, man. Really appreciate it. We'll catch up down the road, okay? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. There he is, Keith Smith. My name is Jake Chapman. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at JakeChapmanOM. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast.